Welcome to MedEvidence, where we help you navigate the truth behind medical research with unbiased, evidence-proven facts, powered by Encore Research Group and hosted by cardiologist and top medical researcher, Dr. Michael Corin. Thank you for coming. I'm actually pleasantly surprised we have all this interest in lupus. And lupus is one of those diseases that we talked about during internal medicine training by saying, well, none of us really understand what it is. So we're going to take the smartest people in the internal medicine group and make them study it and explain it to the rest of us. So as a cardiologist, I was so happy that we had smart people like Dr. Shaw that would actually learn what this is and teach us. And um, we used to joke about it in residency. You had diseases that were caused by infections and you had diseases that were caused by atherosclerosis and diseases that were caused by cancerous cells. And then you had them, their diseases, where you're not sure exactly what the heck is causing it. And lupus would be one of those diseases. So I'm really excited to learn from you in terms of what, what lupus is. And um, we'll, we'll break that down for people. And of course, uh, we are interested in helping people resolve symptoms related to lupus and improve their prognosis when they have lupus, which is not always a great prognosis, as we'll learn. And as we speak, there are studies in the community to help people with this uh, particular condition using certain medications, and we'll dig into that a little bit more. So, anyhow, that's a little bit of an introduction. So let's, let's jump into lupus, okay? First of all, thank you very much for a nice introduction, Sharon and Dr. Korn. And uh, um, yes, lupus has been a little mysterious disease, and uh, it has been considered uh, a mysterious disease where it can do multiple things. It can be very uh, damaging to the body, uh, but it can uh, be very mild as well. So there is a lot of misconception about lupus, and we would try to unveil some of the mysteries and understand it a little bit better. The more you understand, the better you feel about it, the, the calmer you feel about it, and that helps with the treatment. Absolutely. So let's dig in. We're going to go to our first slide, I guess, to dig in. So why don't you tell everybody what this uh, mystery SLE is? What does that mean? What is that term? So we call it SLE for systemic lupus erythematosus. Uh, it's a chronic inflammatory condition. It's an autoimmune disease. That means your own immune system is attacking your body or your cells, your organs, um, and it causes inflammation wherever it attacks. And it can cause pain throughout the body, multiple mm -hmm. manifestations, and it is systemic. Yeah. So you see a picture, I'll go back to that last one, and you see a picture of a woman with a, a butterfly on her face. And um, I, I, Sharon, you're not supposed to tell my secrets that I sleep at night with a butterfly mask on. I thought that was just between you and me. <laughs> Only joking. Um, so why, why, that actually means something. So I want to point that out to the audience, why that picture is there. So the very characteristic <clears throat> rash we see with lupus or SLE, I, you can use that term SLE versus lupus interchangeably to make it simpler. So I call it lupus. Uh, it's a type of uh, lupus. SLE is a type of lupus, but we can just, it's the most common type, so I call it lupus. <clears throat> but you can see in any or every types of lupus, you can see this rash on the face. We call it malar rash. It can also be called a butterfly rash because it can look like a butterfly because the bridge of your nose is involved, which would be the body of your butterfly, and the wings, which involves the rash mm -hmm. on the eyes and the cheeks. And that's a very common um, rash, which uh, is one of the diagnostic features. Yeah, so that you can be, 
a amateur diagnostician, and if you see somebody that has that type of rash on their face, you could actually help them make a diagnosis, or at least get them to the right place. But it is a characteristic rash of this particular condition. We call it butterfly rash. So that, that's a nice little tidbit for you. Go ahead. So explain sy systemic to the patient. So the systemic, folks. as the name suggests, of, uh, for the SLE, it involves multiple systems, not just one organ. So it doesn't limit itself to the rash. It can involve other organs, uh, heart, kidneys, lungs, liver. It can involve every organ in the body, aspect, actually. So that's why, and multiple organs, not just one organ. Let's say somebody has lupus in the kidneys. They can have lupus in the blood vessels, too, in the brain and the heart, too. So uh, just to know that we don't miss anything else, that's why the name says systemic in itself. And so here are some statistics. So these are actually pretty impressive. Um, so the, if we look at the stats, it kind of tells us that it's not very uncommon. 1.5 millions of Americans have diagnosis of lupus. Most of this diagnosis usually comes around the age of 15 to 44. So prime years, youth and adult years are involved. And uh, it is seen two to three times higher in certain ethnicities, especially African-Americans, Hispanics and Asians. Um, and also female, uh, nine out of 10 people mm. with lupus are female. Yeah, why is that? So we do, there is no clear, inter, uh, clear data to show why is it there, but we have understanding that probably hormonal changes and estrogen has a lot to do with it. And why we think that is because during adolescent and perimenopausal phase, that's when lupus gets diagnosed or flares very frequently. So we mm. think that there has been some association with hormones. That might be the cause. All right. Next slide. What do we got? Uh, so explain, though, this may look a little intimidating, but we're going to break it down for you in terms of the immune system. It is. So this just shows that the genetic predisposition is a key feature in lupus. It's kind of you need to have that genetic predisposition, and then the environmental triggers can trigger it. Why does genetic predisposition, what, does ha what happens with the genetic predisposition or with genes is faulty or altered genes can, uh, can affect immune systems, it, immune cells. Immune cells become overactive, they com their communication becomes altered, dead cell cleanup becomes altered, and that's where the manifestations come from. Autoantibodies are produced because of all of that. So getting back to the, that slide, autoantibodies is a very important concept. And we all know that our body produces antibodies against diseases and other foreigners. But in some occasions, our immune system provides antibodies against our own cells. And that's when bad things happen. And lupus is believed to be a disease that falls into that autoimmune category. Correct. So, yeah, that's, the, that's where the name autoimmune comes from, too. That your own immune system or own immune cells act up against you by making autoantibodies. Okay. So types of lupus, why don't you run, run that... So SLE, as we talked briefly earlier, is the main type of lupus, and that affects almost 70% of patients with lupus diagnosis are with SLE, they have SLE, and that means multiple organs are involved. Cutaneous lupus, as the name suggests, involves skin, and that is mainly mm -hmm. where you have skin involvement everywhere, not just the face, anywhere. 
And drug-induced lupus is another one which we want to keep in mind all the time because it's caused by certain medications. And the simple treatment for that is to remove that medication. So it should be always considered, but it's only 10% of lupus diagnosis. And neonatal lupus is something we don't like to see newborn babies affected from it. But if the mother has active lupus, sometimes newborn babies will have those autoantibodies and they will have features of lupus. They don't necessarily get diagnosis of lupus. And within six months, the symptoms are gone and they never have any consequences in the future. Yeah, the uh, drug-induced lupus is an interesting thing. Uh, When I was in my training in cardiology, a a commonly used drug for arrhythmias was called procainamide. Mm -hmm. And procainamide was probably the classical drug that Mm -hmm. caused lupus. And and it's a shame because procainamide was an incredibly effective antiarrhythmic drug, meaning if you had atrial fibrillation or if you had ventricular tachycardia, we can use procainamide. And it worked really well and was safe in the short run. But so many patients would develop rashes and other signs of lupus after six or 12 months of exposure to the drug that we basically have stopped using it, even though otherwise it's effective. So these these medications which can cause drug-induced lupus don't have to cause lupus in every individual they're exposed to. Um, it might be because of genetic predisposition again. Gen- certain genetic predisposition with certain medications can cause it. So you don't necessarily have to shy away from using the medications, but be careful and aware of that. That's that's very. Are there other medications that people should be aware of that could be associated with lupus in general? Just- there is one medicine for blood pressure, hydralis which is very commonly used, can cause lupus as well. Some thyroid treatment medications, methamazole, propyl thyroresol, those are used by endocrinologists for hyperactive thyroid or sometimes underactive. And that can also cause lupus. So right. blood pressure medicines can too, which are used very frequently. All right, signs and symptoms. So we talked briefly about the butterfly rash. Um, and before I go into symptoms and signs, I want to say that symptoms differ different in individuals very much. And so um, you don't want to have categories, categorize, you don't want to categorize your symptoms and say, I don't fit into those, or my friend had these symptoms, I don't have that, that means I don't have lupus. It can, we usually joke around and say there are about 40 types of lupus or 40 types of presentation for lupus. So any symptom, and you you kind of uh, you can ask me any symptom and say, can this be from lupus? My answer 99% of the time is going to be yes. So it can present very variedly. And common symptoms include fatigue, fever, muscle or joint pain, sun sensitivity, which is also a big thing in lupus, skin rashes, Raynaud's. Raynaud's means your hands go, or some of the fingers go dead white looking. It's not just whitish. Is dead white and they hurt and burn and tingle at the same time, so you wouldn't miss it. And shortness of breath, chest pain, eye <clears throat> symptoms, headaches, memory issues, blur clots, mouth ulcers, and hair loss are some of the common ones. Okay, so who in this room has had one of those symptoms at any time in the last five years? We all will. Everybody. We all probably do. So how do we know that we don't all have lupus? <laughs> That's the main thing, yes. <laughs> so that comes when, how do we diagnose and what are the risk factors? So, so symptoms are, is one of the factors to diagnose lupus. Blood tests and specific symptoms and skin biopsies. When you combine all of it, that's when we can, we can clinch the diagnosis of lupus or we can rule it out. So just because you have symptoms, you don't need to worry about it, have it checked. 
So you do blood tests then to confirm the diagnosis based on these risk factors. Correct. So if uh, if I forget something, it doesn't mean you're going to ch- check me out for lupus or if I feel <laughs> fatigued. So, but if I fit into this category of patterns, then uh, you may then do some blood testing to specifically look if I have this condition. Blood testing and some other symptoms too, some specific symptoms. So fatigue is a vague symptom, but there are more specific symptoms like fluid around the heart or lung and Raynaud's. Those don't happen um, based on your lifestyle or based on overworked or something. So um, some specific symptoms also help you clinch the diagnosis. And you want to keep the risk factors in mind too. So female patients are at risk. 90% of sufferers are women. So we want to be careful about that. Um, at age 15 to 44 is the age where you get diagnosis most often, certain ethnicities, genetic predispositions, genetic factors. So family history of lupus is important. That we don't want to miss. And then environmental triggers. Environmental triggers include uh, viruses, chemical exposures, smoke, um, silica, sunlight, uh, UV rays mainly, UV rays, uh, unprotected UV rays exposure, certain medications as we talked about, and uh, stress. Stress is another very well-known trigger for many autoimmune diseases, including lupus. Physical stress, emotional stress, all of it. Okay. Very nice. Complications. So let's jump into that. Um, Complications of lupus come from its involvement to the organs, and it depends what organ is involved. So most common organ to be involved is kidney. So if the kidney is involved and has inflammation of the kidneys, then kidney can't work properly, can't get rid of the toxic waste and causes swelling, itching, uh, facial swelling, leg swelling um, that call lupus nephritis. That is one of the complications. If it involves brain, you can have memory issues and fuzziness, foggy brain. Um, If it involves the blood vessels, uh, which can involve brain as well, then you can have seizures. And plus, we think that the base of all autoimmune disease is chronic inflammation, unnecessary, uh, uncontrolled chronic inflammation. And that is the basis for heart diseases, and you know it very well. So heart attacks, heart diseases, atherosclerosis is seen in all autoimmune diseases, including lupus. And skin rashes, not just on the face, you can have ulcers and blisters and bullous formation. So different, different types of skin rashes. Um, Infection um, is very common in all autoimmune diseases for a couple of reasons. One is because it's an autoimmune disease, your immune system is weaker and it cannot fight infections very well. So that's one of the reasons. And sometimes the medications we use to treat lupus with, that also suppresses immune system, so it increases risk of infections. Cancer probably comes from chronic inflammation. And death of bone tissue, that is one of the ones we want to be careful about too. You can have severe certain onset of joint pain and blood clot in the the bone, or the inflammation of the vessels in the bone can cause death of the bone tissues and pregnancy complications. All kinds of pregnancy complications has been seen with lupus, preeclampsia, preterm labor, um, and uh, other malformations as well, fetal malformations. Um, And so we usually recommend that uh, patients, before they try and get pregnant, their lupus should be quiet for six months. That's an ideal time to consider pregnancy. Yeah, so just to jump in with a little heart trivia fact, is that people who have lupus compared to the exact same type of person that does not have lupus 
have twice the risk of heart attacks and strokes. So it is a pretty significant risk factor for heart disease. And certainly, I have plenty of lupus patients that have had cardiovascular complications. Yeah. So um, again, we get back to how do we diagnose it. So lupus diagnosis um, can be a challenging diagnosis because it is, it is called the great, great uh, imit- imitator because it can mimic a lot of diseases. It can mimic infections, and sometimes the first, first symptom is heart attack, and that's how they get diagnosed with lupus. Um, and so it, sometimes patients are not diagnosed for years uh, because maybe their symptoms were not uh, specific or classical. So we have all this multi-pronged approach for diagnosis of lupus, where physical examination and history is very important, um, history of um, blood tests, urine tests, and biopsies help us. All right, so let's uh, talk about treatment. So treatment of lupus, um, we have multiple therapies available for lupus, uh, and we're still utilizing very old medicine, which is anti-malarial hydroxychloroquine for many decades, and it's it's a very benign and safe medicine. It helps reduce flares and reduce organ damage as well. Then we use steroids for flares. Steroids are usually not a permanent treatment, but they're used for flares and as a bridge before the therapy works. Non-steroidal anti-inflammatories are used for flare-ups and for pain as needed. And main therapy is immunosuppression or immunomodulation. We have multiple therapies which can suppress immune system, and that's how we control organ damage and lupus activity. If you have that blood clotting disease, uh, which is called anti-phospholipid antibody, which is which can be associated with lupus many times, then you may need blood thinning medicines as well, blood thinners. Um, sometimes you don't have to have that disease and you still have high risk for loop, uh, blood clots just because of lupus. And if you have history, then you should be also on blood, thinner, blood thinning medications. Monoclonal antibodies are, are the medications which are developed in the lab and they are similar to autoantibodies but these are targeted towards the factor which causes lupus or symptoms of lupus. And then there is a medicine called Actar gel, which acts like prednisone. It makes you produce your own prednisone. But we use that as a bridge as well sometimes. Yeah, so hydroxychloroquine is, as a trade name, a Plaquenil. Um, there are there other trade names, so that's pretty much the only one. That's that the only by, trend, yeah. yeah. So you, you might have heard of that because there was a lot of discussion about that for COVID. Yep. And um, plus minus for COVID, but um, fortunately we have better things for COVID at this mm-hmm. point. But uh, that was advocated as one of the things to try to use for COVID initially. And uh, that's still very effective for lupus, isn't it? Still- it is very effective. I usually say if you have lupus or you think you have lupus, you should be on hydroxychloroquine on top of any medicine unless you're not allergic to it or have side effects. Because a huge study was done many decades ago where thousands of patients with lupus and without lupus were put on the medicine and not. And the group which was, which was on the medicine did very well for flares and organ damage involvement and long-term safety data was really good. Mm-hmm. Now, how, how about an- other anti-inflammatories? Any data for non-steroidal anti-inflammatory agents or colchicine or nothing close to Plaquenil? 
So um, anti-inflammatories, we only use it for flare-ups and uh, some symptoms as needed. But colchicine, I'm glad you brought it up. Colchicine is also anti-inflammatory, which if lupus is involving your heart and pericardium, the layer around the heart, and it gets inflamed off and on, and the other medications are not controlling it very well, and the and you don't need strong immune suppressive medicine because other organs are doing fine, then colchicine is a wonderful medicine for that. Mm. You can take it for a long term mm. rather than ibuprofen like medicine. Long term is too um, many side effects. So colchicine can be taken long term. How about colchicine for lupus nephritis or other inflammatory uh, conditions that affect organ systems? That I don't know if any studies done for that, very reliable studies for that. So no, it's not been or used for Or nothing no. for that. Okay. Interesting. So yeah, we have some decent treatments, but there's definitely room for impl- improvement, it sounds like. Absolutely. Lupus is one of the autoimmune diseases where we would love to have more medications mm-hmm. um, because of multiple reasons. Patients are very heterogeneous. Presentations are very different. And uh, some of the refractoriness, medicine refractory lupus is also there. So some more medications would be very beneficial. Okay. So you take care of a lot of lupus patients. So you're the expert to help people live with lupus. So why don't you give people here a little bit of insight into that? So when I, that's exactly right. When I see the patients, we also talk about how to live life to the fullest with lupus because lupus is not the death sentence anymore at all. Lupus does not mean you have to alter your lifestyle significantly. You can still enjoy and do everything you want to do. Just having few things in mind will help you big time with the flares and organ preventing organ damage. So first of all, I would say follow your guideline, follow your doctor regularly and follow the recommendations. If you have any questions or if you feel like we're not in this on the same page, then have an open communication. Ask questions about why this, why certain medications. The more you guys talk, the better it will be. But continue with the treatment plans because it is unpredictable disease. So some therapy might still be needed even if you're doing well. And then um, rest and sleep. Enough rest and sleep is very important because it improves your immune system. As it's an autoimmune disease, we want to strengthen our immune system as a background. And rest, sleep, improving the stress are very much key factors for improving um, your immune system. Manage your stress. Sometimes stress is not in your hand, but how you manage, how you react to stress is. And if you slept well, if you're doing breathing therapies, meditations, yoga, you can handle stress better. And that itself is pretty good. Uh, Balanced diet is a huge thing. I I believe in diet helping uh, diseases very all the time. So having balance in the diet, lots of fruits, vegetables, greens, whole grains, lean meat, and uh, um, healthy fats. Then regular exercise, because exercise also improves your immune cells, immune system. Pace yourself. Sometimes we overwork ourselves, and that also damages our immune system, at least for short term. So pace yourself, plan ahead. Uh, sun protection is one huge thing. Sun protective clothing, sunscreens, um, hi- stay hydrated, and pain management. Pain management with heating pad, ice pack, stretching, yoga helps a lot. Um, question, uh, 
Well, if we finish this up, then I'll give you my questions. Go ahead. So support group is also very helpful. Um, if you know, if you meet people who are also dealing with a similar disease and find out what tricks and uh, tiny tricks they're doing, which helps, that's very important too. Knowing, meeting people who are going through the same things gives you emotional support as well. Keep a health journal. I usually say keep a flare journal. So rather than having to write every day and getting confused with all that huge data, what to do with it, you can keep those days when you have a bad day, then look back and write down what happened the day before. And you compare those bad days and you can find some triggers for yourself. So you don't have to worry about everything is a trigger. What do I do now? You can find out what's your trigger and avoid them. Mindful planning. Uh, smoking is one of the triggers for all autoimmune diseases. Avoid that and limit the use of alcohol. And... Uh, the more you know, the better you feel. So in terms of management, in general, we have diseases that we manage just by looking at symptoms and asking our patients about symptoms. And there are other diseases that we manage looking at biomarkers, mm -hmm. that we look at lab tests and other data that we have to uh, uh, an analyze through some sort of uh, chemical means or imaging or what have you. So is, is lupus something that's strictly managed by symptoms or are there biomarkers that you check when you're trying to treat patients? Both. It's a wonderful question. Both. Um, so biomarkers are very helpful trying to telling us whether the disease is active. Uh, certain biomarkers are helpful trying to predict organ involvement. Certain biomarkers are helpful trying to see if inflammation is active. Um, we also want to not neglect symptoms. Symptoms are superior than every other lab. If you have constant symptoms and biomarkers are not showing it, then we just go by your symptoms and say, well, we can't rely on biomarkers in your case and we need to treat it based on the symptoms. But both are very helpful. So give folks an example of a biomarker that you would track in a lupus patient. So double-stranded DNA is a test we do which can predict kidney involvement. If it goes higher and higher, that means lupus is becoming active and it, can, it has predisposition for the kidneys. Certain other biomarkers like RNP and RNA has kidney involvement with the skin, more involvement, more predisposition to the skin. And one other one, ribonucleoprotein, has predisposition for the brain. Uh, complements are another test we do, which are utilized in inflammation. So if you have active inflammation, complements will be low in your bloodstream. So that can also tell us that, yes, there is inflammation going on. Now, do you look at general uh, markers of inflammation like HSCRP or... You can explain mm -hmm. that to people also. CRP and SAD rate are very commonly used biomarkers, and they, they, go, they go higher when you have activity of lupus. They also increase in infection and other conditions, heart attack and everything. So you want to be careful when you're using the CRP and SAD rate, we call it for a short form, uh, as a biomarker. But if in the right condition, right setting, they can help immensely for um, lupus activity. Thank you. All right, so we're research people, and um, we like to share the latest and greatest, and most importantly, what does the future look like? So why don't you give us a little bit of uh, information about what research is being done and what the future outlook is? So lupus is a very exciting f f field at this time uh, because a couple of medications are recently approved and a couple in the research um, for lupus treatment, which we needed for last many years, many decades. Um, Recently, there has been two medicines approved, which are infusions, cefnello and benlista, 
and this new medicine called JAK inhibitors or Janus kinase inhibitors. And the great part about this JAK inhibitors is they're pills. You don't have to be um, injecting yourself or, or committing yourself to infusions once a month. It's a simple pill. You can travel all around. And it has already been FDA approved for many other autoimmune diseases, including loop, including rheumatoid arthritis, psoriatic arthritis, ulcerative colitis, and certain skin conditions. So we have experience with this medicine for many, six years or so. And it is, um, it is pretty safe as well. And it has recently been studied for lupus. And we are starting a study for lupus um, with this Jack inhibitors. In our community. That's pretty cool. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Rinwoke. Rinwoke. It's R-I-N-V-O-Q. <clears throat> That's the trade name for a Jack kinase inhibitor or a Jack inhibitor. R is in rainbow. I-N-V-O-Q. Typical drug name that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> but <laughs> so it's, its generic name means a lot, but it's a upadacitinib, but it's much more difficult. Rinvoke is much easier. Yeah, a bottom line is, is that it's used in a lot of autoimmune diseases. We already have knowledge about it. We already have experience in other autoimmune right. diseases. So all those, all those other diseases that were listed were also autoimmune diseases, and this drug breaks through the cycle of the immune system attacking its attacking our bodies, so that's that's really really important and uh, really exciting that we're looking at it for another possible disease. And um, so basically, Jack inhibitors suppress immune system, suppress inflammation, decrease the cytokines and the chemicals which produce inflammation, and that's how it helps with autoimmune diseases. And um, because the way it works, it works on multiple cytokines or multiple chemicals, and that's how it is used in multiple autoimmune diseases. Um, and I'm very excited to see if it works on lupus. It should. There has been some preliminary data about other JAK inhibitor being used in lupus in the past. The study wasn't very conclusive mm. b because of some other factors, but I'm pretty positive. I'm, I'm pretty optimistic. And we'll get to questions in about two minutes, and we'll have plenty of time for questions. Um, so I think we have some final thoughts here. Go ahead. So this is the last few slides. I think that if you are interested in it, then fill out the form or uh, let us know. Talk to our staff members. Schedule a free evaluation. Um, our research costs nothing for the patients, and it may offer co compensation too. And then I had just a fun fact here. Go for it. The lupus. The I want you to go with something nice to remember. How did the name come about? In 13th century, uh, one of the physicians, Rogerius, um, thought these lesions in the face were wolf marks, wolf bite marks. And that's how we call it lupus, which is a Latin word for wolf. And, uh, but he didn't, at that time, we didn't know that it's the immune system bite marks. Immune system is biting you, I guess. Interesting. You can say. Yeah. So, just one little point on the research in general is that with all research, we're looking at both helping people with the underlying disease and then helping people deal with the complications of underlying disease. So, for example, we talked about the fact that lupus is an inflammatory condition and an autoimmune condition, and we're studying JAK inhibitors to see if they work in this condition 
similarly to, similarly to the way they work in other autoimmune conditions. Correct. But we're also doing studies in patients that happen to have lupus that have cardiovascular risk. So if you had a heart attack and you want to prevent a second heart attack and you have lupus, we may be able to help you with that. Um, people with lupus are also more prone to infectious diseases and other uh, infectious complications. And we have studies that are looking to protect people from those complications. So it's not only treating lupus directly, but also the downstream effects of uh, lupus and other autoimmune diseases is an area of interest of our, of our research group. So you may end up seeing a cardiologist, not because of the lupus exactly, but because the lupus puts you at risk for a heart attack, which raised your cholesterol or created some lipoprotein problem that is unique to your particular circumstances that we can help you with. Thank you very much, and uh, that fabulous session. And uh, we're here to answer questions in terms of getting involved in the future. Thank you very much. Thank, thank you so much. It worked out wonderfully. Yeah, beautiful. Thanks for joining the MedEvidence Podcast. To learn more, head over to medevidence.com or subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform.